This is The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, welcome back. Mark Tui in for Rush Me Air. The clock on the wall says 435, and that tells me that it's time for our Smart Speakers segment. Joining us today, Genevieve Tomney is principal at GT & Co. And Mark Mendelson is a Newstalk 1010 crime expert, former Toronto homicide detective. Welcome to you both on this last day before Christmas of 2023. Let's get Hard it to done. Believe. Let's yeah. get it done. Yeah, you're you're in a hurry, Mark Mendelson. You got some shopping to do. Um, no, no, no. I just want I just want to go to right. I want to go right to mid January. <laughs> uh, we talked earlier in the show with uh, an Ontario lawyer named Michael Lesage, and he is uh, trying to get some data from the Ontario court system. And he had applied to the Superior Court of Justice to get some basic information in terms of, uh, this is on the civil trial side. So how many uh, courts, uh, how many cases have there been? He was looking for case numbers, uh, whether they were uh, trial by judge, trial by jury, how long they took, when they started, etc. And they gave him some information and uh, that then was shared with academics who wrote papers which weren't always uh, flattering to the uh, justice system and uh, then he asked for the rest of the cases and they told him no that's none of your business that's uh, secret information the courts have decided not to disclose it it's all basically publicly available at the time on the docket but uh, you know in an environment where it's taking according to the chief justice of the court up to four to five years for a civil case going to trial and even the chief justice says the court runs the risk of becoming irrelevant uh, if we can't uh, provide legal decisions in a reasonable time Mark Mendelson is there any reason why any of this information shouldn't just all be published on a website somewhere well, you're absolutely right. In this day and age, everything is computerized, including the court system. I mean, yes, our courts are our courts are open. Anybody can go in and walk into a courtroom, with rare exceptions when, say, confidential informants and things of that nature are testifying and their identity is at risk. Fair enough. And there's laws to, 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 to regulate that. But in terms of the civil court, um, you know, I know he wants to compare it to other jurisdictions and other provinces. Look, we we are the, the number one game when it comes to civil trials in the country. The volume is much higher than it is, say, in Newfoundland or, or Saskatchewan. Um, but all of this should be readily available uh, through freedom of information or through the courts themselves. And I don't understand what, what the problem is. I mean, I think they're a little miffed at him because at one point he did get some of that information. He was told by the courts, you can use it, but you cannot disseminate it. And lo and behold, it ended up on his website shortly thereafter. And he fairly admits in the article that, that, uh, that you know, that I read that, that Donnie provided, you know, he admits, yeah, I let it out. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a bit of a spank that he's getting. But the civil courts are working at a snail's pace as, as compared to the criminal courts, which are working almost at a snail's pace in this country and in this city especially. And a lot of that problem is the, the availability of judges. And that is a big problem when, you know, civil courts go to superior court. It's a superior court judge. It's a federal appointment. They're not pumping them out fast enough. And a lot of the civil uh, or the superior court justices are getting stuck in, 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 the, uh, in the family court uh, stream and also the criminal court stream. So it is a long, no civil case should take five years to get to court, Mark. I don't care what country you live in. It's just ridiculous. But there's a lack of judges. There's a lack of court staff. And I think what he's trying to do is highlight those inefficiencies. 
Yeah, Genevieve, Tommy, I suspect that uh, Mark is right, that this is kind of like, well, you know, you made us look bad, so we're not giving you, we're not going to play anymore. But even the chief justice says there's a problem. Even he says they need to prioritize fixing it. You can't fix what you can't measure. Surely to goodness, it's in the public interest for all of this information to be public so we can see how long it takes and discover whether other systems are doing better than we are. And even if they're mm. not, we would be able to have a starting point to sort of say, ah, this is an area where things are slowing down, whether that's because of a lack of judges or, or scheduling issues or what have you. Uh, I think the government should direct that the stuff becomes public. But is that asking too much? No, I don't think it is. And you mentioned the public interest here. And when you look at it through more of a kind of government lens and, you know, I think traditionally we say there's a separation of church and state between government and the judicial system. Um, but I don't think that's the case here. I think that there is some crossover here that is actually totally acceptable and could actually help the situation because, what you described, we're at a point with this issue that it's actually pretty nearly creating a, an almost two-tiered justice system where um, the people with the deepest pockets can get speedier resolutions because they can go to private arbitration, um, while other people who don't have the money uh, are forced to wait. And, and that's not okay. And those two things that you talked about are the solutions that have been proposed. Hire more court staff, appoint more judges. Well, guess what? The federal government is responsible for the appointment of court judges and provincial governments are responsible for the administration of justice. So that includes court staff and the appointment of JOPs, justices of the peace. Um, but unfortunately, these things don't often become a priority of government unless they are exposed by exactly the kind of data Mr. Lesage is trying to make public. And that's a problem. Yeah, and if I was the Attorney General Doug Downey in Ontario, I would want to make this happen because, yes, it would be wonderful if the system was going to fix itself, but the system is busy trying to do what the system was created to do. It's clearly not doing a good job of fixing itself. If you put this information out in the public, some smarty pants like maybe Michael Lesage would say, hey, here's something we could do, and maybe that would help fix the problem. I, I think the sunlight would be a great disinfectant for all of this stuff. Um, speaking of things that need you great know what, you disinfecting, know what, you know what, go ahead. You know what's interesting, Mark? I, I'll just jump in for one second. The Supreme Court of Canada tackled this problem with respect to the criminal uh, court system in this country in, in, a, in a case called Jordan. Mm -hmm. And they put a time frame, 18 months for uh, for non for non-indictable offenses. It had to be it had to be a trial within 18 months. Jury trials and superior court matters have to be in court within 30 months. And I don't understand why we can't put similar type restrictions on the civil matters as well. Yeah, somebody needs to do something. And we're failing to meet those thresholds on the criminal side. But at least there's a target. And if we had better understanding of what's causing all of the delays, maybe we could fix it. But I think we probably on the criminal side know. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things going in there. We've talked about them many times. Um, Let's uh, jump to Toronto police bracing for demonstrations over the weekend. Uh, I think, Genevieve Tomney, that uh, the Palestinian protests have made their point, and I think a lot of Canadians are sympathetic. I think if they go into the malls and they raise havoc over Christmas, they're just shooting themselves in the foot, and it's kind of jumping the shark. I think they should lay off. What do you think? I think it's been really disturbing. Um, to see what has been unfolding, um, particularly in Toronto on this. And the question that I keep asking is, is where is the rule of law in this? And I know the police have said they'll be, they'll be out, 
they'll be, you know, paying attention to it this weekend. But, you know, the question is, how is it okay to shut down the Gardner Expressway with protests? How is it okay to shut down businesses? How is it okay to utter death threats at police or to scare children who are visiting Santa? No one wants to see this. And, you know, freedom of speech and freedom to demonstrate are important rights in Canada, but there are reasonable limits to this. And that's, I believe, where people ought to have a reasonable expectation of the police to act quickly and to keep people safe and to stop these things from happening. I think that what is happening here at home in terms of the rise in hate crimes um, is extremely disturbing and causing fear and anxiety in our communities. And we need to see the police acting when these things happen. Yeah, I would probably agree with that, uh, Mark uh, Mendelson. We'll take uh, your thoughts on that after the break. When we uh, come back with our uh, two smart speakers, Genevieve Tomney and Mark Mendelson, we will tackle uh, Mark's side of that one and uh, also get uh, their thoughts on Doug Ford and gingerbread, as well as uh, well, maybe we'll have time to tackle the UN. I mean, how hard could it be to solve the UN's problems? I mean, it's kind of a simple organization, really. I mean, you a little bit in, a little bit out. Uh, anyway, uh, also, what's the biggest news story of the year? We'll see what we get to as Smart Speakers returns. My name is uh, Mark Tui. Don't forget that in the next hour, I'm going to tell you everything that I know about a Toronto Sun cartoon and why it went off the rails and where those rails were and where those rails should be. In the meantime, I'm going to go try to figure out how to make a hot chocolate. I suggest you do the same, but don't go far because the rush returns in just a few moments. Welcome back. It is uh, Mark Tuian for Rashmi Nero in the midst of our Smart Speakers segment with Genevieve Tomney, principal at GT and Company. Mark Mendelson is News Talk 1010's crime expert and former homicide detective. Mark, let's start with you. Unless you're burning to talk about protests on the weekend, I want to talk about the UN Security Council resolution that passed today calling on uh, urgent, calling for urgent steps to create the conditions for a sustainable cessation of hostilities. They delayed for a week while they negotiated over those words because originally they wanted to say calling for an urgent and sustainable secession of hostilities, but that wasn't acceptable. So they said to create the conditions for a sustainable secession of hostilities, and that made a world of difference. And the 15 members uh, voted for it with only two abstentions, the United States and Russia, but nobody vetoed it. Uh, Mark Mendelson, do you suppose on the ground in Gaza or anywhere else on this planet, anything that these guys say makes a difference? Well, what a pile of real word salad. I mean, look, it took a week to put a paragraph together. I mean, does anybody really give the, the, the UN councils now any credibility at all? Certainly the U.S., I don't really care. I don't think uh, Israel really cares what they say. But the, the problem is that there is a backlog in getting aid into Gaza, and that's fair enough. And the Israelis are saying, look, we need to inspect these trucks that are coming through because we want to ensure that the fuel is going to where it's supposed to go as opposed to a nefarious purpose. We need to make sure that the, the contents of, of these trailers don't have uh, missiles and munitions and ammunition and all kinds of other things that are going to come back and bite us later on. So there has to be some kind of mechanism, whether it's a, a third independent party that's going to be involved in the uh, inspection of these, of these trucks as they come through to get the aid to the people that need the aid, to the Palestinian people, without 
fueling Hamas even further. And I mean, it's it's a fine line, but I'm not putting a lot of stock in what the UN are saying. As I said, you know, it takes a week to put a paragraph together. There's something wrong with that, something inherently wrong with that. I mean, just get somebody in there, get somebody who's going to put a system together to, to inspect these things as they're coming through and do it as quickly as possible. Genevieve Tomney, uh, words matter, but I'm not sure that these words make much difference, except it provided cover for the U.S. to at least abstain, in that it doesn't really call for anything that's going to be problematic, and it allows Israel to continue to monitor that aid that's going in. There really isn't a trusted third party available, because nobody there, I used to work there for the U.N., and nobody there trusts the U.N. Does any of this, I mean, this is all just kind of keeping us uh, interested and, you know, high-priced people at New York's uh, UN headquarters, uh, you know, in uh, expense accounts. Does any of it make a difference to anybody in the Middle East? Yeah, you know, I'm not disputing that diplomacy matters in this, and certainly on the long term, it's going to have to play a role in finding a path to peace. But, you know, my question is, what is the actual possibility of success here with a resolution like this, right? I mean, there's been a lot of focus and scrutiny on how the U.S. is reacting to it, on how Israel is reacting to it. What about Hamas? What is the actual possibility of success here? I'm not optimistic. Um, You know, this is a terrorist organization that has broken ceasefires, um, was responsible for starting this war. They can't be trusted. And this continues, again, to be an extremely difficult time here at home. And so, yes, there continues to be conversation around what's happening at the UN. Um, But I think for a lot of people, this feels a little empty and meaningless at best. Yeah, I think I've spent quite a number of years working with and within the UN, and uh, it's the only organization that can do what it does, so it needs to exist, but it doesn't do anything particularly well or particularly quickly, so it's always frustrating. Unlike uh, my favorite uh, premier of the day, Doug Ford, uh, out with another self-help video trying to tell me how to build gingerbread houses. It's like any good foundation. You've got to put icing in the tray to hold it down. So let's put a whole bunch of icing here and try to glue this together. You're going to put more icing down here. It's like the concrete. There we go. So this reminds me of building modular homes here in Ontario. This is how quick it is. Tell you the truth, the modular homes are probably easier to build than the gingerbread house. You know, folks, modular homes the most efficient way to build homes here in Ontario, most cost-effective way. If we haven't already, I'm expecting soon a modular home announcement from the (laughs) Ford government. Uh, Let's uh, start with you, Genevieve, uh, as a uh, person who follows words and uh, and politics. I like the folksy charm of it, but is it starting to wear off for some people? I mean, for me, I mean, you got to hand it to the guy for having the chutzpah to stand up there and make a video about housing after the kind of year that he's had with, you know, the the flip flop on the green belt and, um, you know, just the lack of progress that this government has actually made on building houses. And I think, you know, if you read the comments, it has exposed him to some ridicule on the platform for for going there. I will say that I don't disagree with the premier on modular housing. I think it is a an excellent and path forward for some of the issues that we're facing when it comes to housing. Here is my Christmas wish, Premier Ford, and make something happen, actually start to move things forward on this issue for Canadians, because as we know, and as we've heard over and over again um, in Ontario, this is such a pressing issue for people to be able to afford their homes. And 
I just, you know, given the the stress that people have around affording their rents and mortgages right now, I'm just not sure it hit exactly the right tone. Mark Mendelson, some of the bloom is off the uh, progressive conservative rose for sure in this Ontario government. But I, I kind of still like these videos. How much credit? Like, we're going to talk about this on the radio and we are sharing it on social media. Can he still get away with this stuff? Or at some point are more and more people going to kind of say, just get it done? I don't know. You know, Mark, it took two years of therapy and a lot of medication for me to get the sight of him making cheesecake during COVID <laughs> online out of my brain. And here we go. Now we got a gingerbread man. Stick a fork in my eye, please. Like, I, I understand it, it's it's Christmas time. It's the holiday season, and he's having a little bit of fun with it. But, uh, you know, I'm with Genevieve. Like, build, the, build these things already. Get these modular homes. You know, to me... It, it's a bit of a stunt, and he, you know he opened himself up to all kinds of ridicule. And if he's if he's up for that fair game, if he can take a hit, let him take a hit. But at the end of the day, build something. I uh, only got about uh, forty seconds for each of you, but Genevieve, Tommy, what story, news story, or newsmaker will you remember most from this year? My newsmaker, I'm a Swifty, is one hundred percent Taylor Swift, cultural phenomenon, and an absolute economic powerhouse. If Taylor Swift were an economy, she would be bigger than 50 countries. She's amazing. Hands down, newsmaker of the year. Mark Mendelson? Well, I canvassed a couple people, and I got Taylor Swift from everybody, and I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm going to say, I'm going <laughs> to pick the individual who has sucked up the journalism oxygen in North America, certainly in the U.S. for the last couple of years. i got to give it to Donald Trump. I've never seen anything as Teflon as this guy. I think we're going to spend the next year, as we did this year, watching him go through the hurdles and the hoops of the justice system, probably never get convicted of anything, and probably going to run for the presidency again. Lord help us all. But I think i got to give him the man of the year, and certainly the newsmaker of the year. Maybe Taylor Swift could be his vice presidential running mate. I'd rather her. I'd rather have her as the president, quite frankly. Well, I think most now, people. There's would. an idea. There you go. Flip it around. Taylor Swift, a Swift Trump ticket, <laughs> all the way down the line. Thank you both, Genevieve Tomney, Mark Mendelson, for joining us with Smart Speakers today. We'll talk to. Uh, I don't know. Next week, I guess. I hope we'll uh, give a chat with you. But uh, we're going to take a short break here on the rush. When we come back in the next hour. My goodness, what was the Toronto Sun thinking? Can you forgive them? Also, guess who's getting a new form? Well, it's not a new form. Colon cancer is rising in young people, and nobody really knows why. Dr. Mitch will try to explain what we need to be looking for. Fortunately for me, I'm no longer a young person. Maybe I should look even closer. You're listening to The Rush on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. 